This is the Makerspace Managers Podcast, Episode 2. I'm your host, Will Bradley, and my guest today is Zandi Dandizet. I did a little intro of the podcast series and my bio in the first episode, so let's just jump into it in this episode. Zandi, how did you get started managing your space? What's your space about? And what have you been up to recently? <laughs> uh, well, I honestly thought I was moving into kind of a party art house uh, back in 2014 at the end of school. Um, what ended up happening is the space itself kind of went into a potential eviction status. So I decided to throw one art show and someone had to take care of bills. So I kind of ended up taking on a uh, stronger role in the space, which then developed over time, kind of uh, both organically and, um, you know, self-imposed, I suppose. Uh, the space itself is uh, basically a gallery art house. It's, it's a bit of everything. Uh, so the space itself is a nonprofit artist run center uh, that has gallery, live in studio space, um, studio mates, uh, guest residencies, and um, yeah, kind of a bit of everything. Nice. And so that's, you said, um, I'm not sure if you said it, but the James Black Gallery, right? Yeah, it's the James Black Gallery. Sorry. And where is that? How long has it been around? So the James Black Gallery is located in Vancouver, British Columbia. It has been around since December 2014, incorporated in uh, March 2017, uh, and kind of was a collective space for a bit beforehand. Uh, previously, it was called Grops, and uh, about 2007 was when the space itself was actually a boarded up building. So there's been a, a long trajectory on that. Gotcha. And you said you got involved um, trying to save the place and running a, a quick show. Uh, what was kind of the context there? Like, how did you, you know, you obviously heard that that maybe it was in trouble and you conceived of this as, as a way to uh, help it get on its feet. And then you ended up being a pretty big force behind its success. Like, how did that all happen? Uh maybe take a step back. I'm going to be honest, I didn't have grandiose dreams that it was going to be this big magical thing. What happened was uh, when I first walked into the door of the space, it actually basically looked like kind of my childhood dreams. Like when I was 16, I wanted to live in a group art space, but I also wanted to live in the city, but I also wanted to, mm -hmm. you know, have a business out of the space. And it kind of was all of those things put together in one. Um, but uh, the structure at the time had kind of collapsed. Oh, no. Um, yeah. Like the physical uh, or organizational? You know, I mean, there was components of the physical for sure. <laughs> like the front steps were very unsafe. So we had to replace those things like that. Literally. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. Literally and metaphorically. <laughs> <laughs> collapsed um but the individual who was running the space also just uh didn't have the capacity to handle all of the nuances involved uh so um when that kind of fell apart there was sort of a, a power vacuum and someone else kind of took in up that role wanted mm -hmm. to be sort of a, a leader of the space i just took on sort of bills and kind of making sure that things were just 
bare bones running that mm-hmm. people could live here and we were paying everything on time um, while we were kind of following uh, the trajectory on like where things were going to go with the landlord. We were pretty much sure that the space was going to end near immediately. So I thought that was super unfortunate and I wanted to throw one art show. I wanted, and I had some like mini goals. I was like, I want a hundred people to show up to this and I want a beer sponsorship and I want someone to write an article about this. And actually I accomplished all of those things with that. And so that kind of took form of like, what is it that we are here for? What are we, um, you know, we started thinking about purpose, who are the people that we're serving, things like that. Great. That's awesome. So you, you kind of, you got, you got your foot in the door with uh, taking care of kind of the practical matters. And, and then turns out like you had uh, some unexpected success with your, with your art show that was almost meant to be a last hurrah. Mm-hmm, exactly. That's awesome. I, I think a lot of people can actually identify with that because uh, that's actually how I got into a, a more involved role in, in my current space too. Um, so you had kind of these like landlord finance, like city remodeling issues with this, because it's a beautiful old historic house, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the building itself is from 1889, uh, which is actually pretty much as old as Vancouver itself. Nice. I mean, as as a colonial space on unceded territory. Yeah. Uh, and so how did you, I, I remember when we talked last, uh, some of those uh, issues with like the landlord and ownership and financial and whatever permitting seemed like a real big issue that you were dealing with. How did that happen? How did that resolve? <laughs> uh, well, um, I mean, so so there's a few different components to that. <laughs> Let me think about how to, uh, one second. Um, so part of it was, is that the individual who took up leadership immediately was very antagonistic with the landlord. Um, the landlord had never had tenants before. He was just kind of a person who flips properties. Um, so he actually didn't know how to handle the pretense of having all these folks who were very enchanted with the building. Uh, so, he actually decided to um, sign a lease with two of us who were less antagonistic, mm-hmm. uh, partially because I believe that the city had put in sort of a new clause that there couldn't be empty buildings. Otherwise, you would p- be paying a fine yearly. So that's partially uh, thankful that the city started to enact some sort of change. Secondarily, um, you know, the, the, the duo situation of two people... Um, kind of fighting back and forth about things. Um, and then uh, from there, it was kind of like thinking about how the previous uh, person who had run the collective, how they had handled things and what could be done better. So making sure that there was a lot of transparency around paperwork and finances and keeping everyone in the loop on things that were occurring. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, that's um, that's a big issue that I think your situation's unique, but it, it sounds like a lot of spaces that I've talked to um, have been in a similar boat. Um, and then your space is kind of a live workspace. How does that, how do you manage? Because I'm, I'm sure that can get hairy, right? Yes. And so that's the, the most complicated element of the continuity of it, because I've been living in this space for five years now, right? And mm-hmm. it's been 
I've been throwing shows or events in it for four and a half years. Uh, there are a rotating amount of people. What I can tell you is it seems like people mostly are able to last about six months to a year before they can burn out just because of the live work aspect. Um, you leave your bedroom and you're immediately involved with all of the folks in the space, right? Right now there's 16 studio mates, uh, then the events, and then um, a guest resident and another individual living here, and then the board of directors on top of it. So there's constantly people in and out. And so you leave your bedroom, you're prepared to ask questions or be asked questions or, you know, folks asking you for a mini meeting right on the spot. Right. Yeah. You don't even have a time to brush the sleep out of your eyes before somebody's telling you about something's broken or something like that, I'm sure. I uh, definitely have meetings where I'm just kind of like in a full house robe, my hair disheveled, and I'm like, I'm a serious person. Let's talk. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so it sounds like one of my questions is about kind of conflict management. And so like uh, in, in the makerspace realm, we have kind of an origin story that involves this idea of like duocracy and this kind of burning man style or this kind of German like meritocracy or whatever. This idea that um, we're all going to pitch in and we're going to have like no leaders and it's going to be this wonderful anarchist space or whatever. And the reality I think that we've been finding over the last couple of years of trying this out in different areas and cultures is that in fact, what ends up happening is there is a hierarchy and whether we acknowledge it or not, there's going to be people with power and people without power. And if we don't kind of tackle that, then what's going to happen is we have these strong, you know, maybe um, uh, inconsiderate voices that end up dominating and we have to actually take extra effort to counteract that and make sure that the people in most need of being heard actually get you know, a chance to say what they need to say or, or enact changes that they need um, without necessarily being like put on the spot or raked over the coals by people with much more power and influence than they are. So in a live work situation with, you know, the kinds of people that um, I'm sure are coming into your kind of space, that's got to be even more of a consideration. How, like what, what angle do you deal with that with? Well, uh, first of all, I want to acknowledge when I moved into the position that I did, I was not prepared. I didn't have the, you know, kind of conflict resolution skills that should be, you know, ascertained or, or even um, facilitation. Yeah. Uh, I kind of knew goals and I knew how to say things, but I didn't necessarily know how, you know, different people have different working styles or, or social styles. Mm -hmm. uh, some people don't handle well, uh, you know, technology or, or text communication, mm -hmm. for example, things like that. Um, I want to note on a uh, reference to the Burning Man, uh, you know, ethos, um, mm -hmm. The James Black Gallery, the the location was actually built out of that as well. But what I found is um, there's there's actually an a article by Joe Freeman called "The Tyranny of Structurelessness" that yeah. exactly yeah. Uh, discusses the thing that you're you're insinuating is this like idea that certain people take on these roles, and you know then there there is no transparency on what they are. Um, there is uh, a lot of that desire within queer culture as well as this like no one is the leader because then it can represent the patriarchy. But sooner or later, someone does have to take on that role. 
Mm -hmm. I I personally feel based on kind of my experience in this space. And so, um, yeah, I, I'm a big fan of structure, uh, which also artists aren't a big fan of. (laughs) Um, So, uh, it's, however, you can still have structure be a living document, which is something I think a lot of people don't realize is that, uh, it can change and it can flow dependent on the needs of the space. At Mm -hmm. one point we had eight people living here and that's a very different perspective than three people living here. Um, Mm -hmm. We didn't have a board of directors previously. Now, currently one of our board members acts as a facilitator. uh, Anytime there is any mediation that is needed in the space between me and others, for example, because um, there's created you know, kind of a checks and balance in the nonprofit system by having people who are outside of the space who are affected and have desire to see the space grow or or have positive meaning um, get involved, but without that personal element of living here, right? Yeah, that's a good that's a good point that um, you can structure the organization intentionally such that you might have uh, somebody who's uh, there in the thick of it on a daily basis like you, but also somebody who has hopefully the same mission and goals, but is not in the thick of it and can come in and be like, well, actually, Zandy, you should have been like this in this way, but hey, let's talk, you know, and kind of be a little bit more impartial and and maybe mediating uh, in hopefully a way that, that both parties seem um, amenable to. Yeah. And, and I think it's really important to note that anyone who is in a role of leadership should be able to recognize that they can be wrong. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're all always growing as individuals and learning. And if you aren't experiencing some sort of feedback on, you know, even a minute one on the, the difference in, in wording that could have um, facilitated a, a, a better happening. Um, mm-hmm. I just recently uh, operated under the assumption that these folks were putting on a show would be at the event that they were putting on um, mm. because we were volunteering the space to them for free. Uh, midway, they were like, okay, we're heading out. You can handle the rest of this. And, and you know, that was something I didn't necessarily put into the contract or state. So um, there we are, a conflict yeah. which could have easily arise or, you know, been resolved if we had um, just had the, the right words out there. Exactly. Yeah. The hindsight is 2020 problem. Mm-hmm. So is there anything, cause I'm running my own makerspace and I'm a white guy and I try to, you know, do as much as I can to make sure that people who aren't in my demographic are made to feel welcome. Is there anything, you know, if, if, if I was going to start up a makerspace or if I was going to come and, and help run your space, maybe maybe as your successor or something is there something that i'm just not knowing that i you know that 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 you need to to get out in the world of ways that you interact to make sure that uh marginalized people are made to feel welcome that i need to hear about uh that's a big question everyone has yeah. um in all sectors i'm i'm currently on a Basically, the artist-run centers uh, have an association for the province, and they also have one nationally. Um, mm. I'm in the provincial conversations around how artist-run centers are supposed to handle these things, as well as I'm on the board of directors and another space. Um, 
we're all trying to figure that out, to be honest. And I can't say that I know the right answer because what happens is uh, there can be a tokenizing uh, effect where we go, oh, well, we want to have someone in the space of this demographic. So we'll even just pay someone to take on that role. But it really can't be putting just automatically putting people in that role at a top level. You have to actually be able to pr- bring people in um, kind of bottom up. Like yeah. you should have the organization um, being open to those folks or, or you know, kind of like starting out having those folks within that space um, because they'll call upon their communities. Uh, we've just recently had a trio, a Nigerian diasporic artist group who uh, put on a show and it made me, you know, look at the gallery and go, okay, um, how white are we? We yeah, still yeah. Are, are working on that process. You know, it, it changes dependent on who's here and who's who's involved. But that show like very much had the, you know, black community come out and they, it, it was absolutely beautiful and um, so different than many of our other shows, which made me go, hey, this is a problem that we have, but that studio mate brought those people into that space. So hopefully, you know, it starts to integrate more where next time we have a studio mate opening, folks from that community now know that we are a place that they could join and have other folks from their community also be in, you know? Gotcha. Yeah, that's a really good point that maybe maybe there's not one thing that you can tell me that I need to be doing differently, like in terms of writing down policies and procedures and approaching people in a certain way. But it's a very good point that when you have kind of a funnel of people who you're bringing into your space and putting into volunteer and leadership roles, that if that funnel isn't inclusive, then the whole process is probably going to break down. Exactly. I'm currently in the process of starting a uh, artist cooperative and hopefully union for BC. And these are sort of the topics that we're touching on. And currently our our co-founders that we've um, kind of grouped together. Yeah, it's not majority men. Uh, however, it's, you know, there's still quite a, a large factor of whiteness and then uh, one individual is being tokenized. So we're kind of going through the process of uh, specifically integrating and pulling in new co-founders who come from those backgrounds to make sure that we are touching on all of these things from the beginning and that no one person has to do all of that labor. Yeah. Do you think, because um, obviously being tokenized is something we want to avoid and there's probably a balance between uh, making sure that somebody's able to speak their mind on behalf of their own experiences, and then uh, assuming that that person's experiences speak for you know an entire like million person demographic, um, do you think the primary way that that's alleviated is by making sure that there's diversity within that diversity of you know at least two or three people like that that aren't kind of already buddies with each other? Like is that is the main way that we uh, combat a lack of diversity and and tokenization simply getting enough diverse viewpoints in the room, or is there kind of a process that underlies that, or or uh, main things to watch out for that 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 you found? Hmm. Well, I can definitely I... that that the more voices we have, the the bigger brush we're going to be painting with but um i'm wondering if there's like a 
institutionalized kind of perspective maybe that needs to shift? Yeah, I mean, the thing for me is, um, so when I moved in here, there there was three other women who were living in the space and then me, a non-binary individual. Mm -hmm. uh, and then when all of the kind of chaos unfolded, it became all men and then me. So yeah. it, it was, I was living with seven guys and then me, um, nowadays, I think there are, uh, there's one trans dude and one cis dude who is a part of the space and then mm -hmm. two on the board. So, uh, it's really shifted over time. And that's partially just based on the people that I communicate with, or I'm interested in bringing into the organization and those people then bring in those people. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's partially like you're going to be bringing in people that you want to relate or connect with, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So having folks, like you said, who are are in those roles and are allowed to bring in other people that they connect with is point, great. Um, that 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 can be a, a huge issue. I, I, I read an article the other day that was saying that what happens is people put one person into that role. Let's say let, they put one person of color into a higher managerial role. What well, actually creates, instead of like breaking a glass ceiling, it creates a stronger barrier because that person feels like they're the only person who can speak for things. And they um, sometimes judge other people harder where it's, it's kind of like, Oh, you haven't reached my level. So you can't be here mm -hmm. or, the opposite where they feel that they're going to be judged if they bring another person of their community to that position or that level, then like a it's chain like reaction of tokenizing. Exactly. And, and that, you know, everyone's going to view them as the only person, uh, Oh, you only brought that person on because of that background, you know? So, so then it, it makes it harder to bring people. So it's definitely like you want to have multiple people from these kind of maybe affiliations in, in the structure so that it isn't just like one person being put into that um, framework. Yeah. That's a good point. It's kind of a privilege to to be able to be in a volunteer or leadership role because you're generally spending all this time and energy and sometimes money on something that's not necessarily paying the rent for you. I mean, I guess in a live work situation, maybe it does, but <laughs> um, but there's there's a very real like you know you're not going to be able to get the 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 most marginalized person in your town because they're focused on surviving, right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, so the, the key with MySpace and what has been both um, a source of bringing people in from those backgrounds, but also a source of conflict is um, that people have been able to live here and just do the work of the space in order to cover their rent in, in order to, you know, have that access, which can create some stability, but it can also put a lot of pressure on, you know, the work that you're doing in the space. It also, um, a lot of the times is some people who come from, you know, extreme poverty, let's say, um, repeat homelessness, uh, can be in a situation where they're very focused on survivalist mechanisms and um, uh, opportunist mechanisms, which means that they can sometimes um, be so focused on uh, the, 
the access to resources and the immediacy, it's very hard for them to look at the long term, right? Um, So uh, like unlearning these behaviors that have been built in due to like trauma. And and so it it just makes it a very complex situation for uh, forms of conflict. And so that's something that has to be kind of like worked through while you're, you know, doing such wonderful work. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm nowhere near that in my space, but I see echoes of that in in our members and volunteers too. So yeah, speaking of uh, people, you know, living there for like six months and then um, having to deal with the the burnout of living in that environment and and only being able to, as you've seen, do like maybe six months worth. One of the things I've I've worried about or de- dealt with when managing burnout is um, people will often wait until it's their past burnout. And then there's no opportunity to like pass the torch in a, in a um, managed way. And you end up having to just kind of say like, Hey, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. Somebody pick the pieces up after me. You know, this A, a B and C are not going to get done anymore because I'm leaving. If you care about this, then you should do them. Goodbye. Um, <laughs> have you, have you managed it in any better sense than that? Uh, well, um, previously we would have our like tenancy leases be, um, just kind of however long you wanted it, which definitely did not work for that. Cause then some people would be like, well, I just want to live here now. I've, I've done so much work. Then I can just live here and not do anything, which is not fun to be a part Mm of. Um, and then most recently, uh, I did a six month with kind of like a review process but it should have just been six months um, instead of allowing there to be any sort of extension just so that people were like, cool, I'm here for six months doing all of it. Then, then moving on. Um, it, it didn't set a good pretense because instead it put more pressure on that, that end of six months. Like if you've done enough, you can stay or, or, you know, things like that, or which was not, not ideal, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um what I can say is, you know, telling people that can't text message or talk about work stuff after a certain time point in the day, uh, you know, mm-hmm. doing check-ins. Hey, are you available right now? Before just, you know, um, stating things that need to be done immediately uh, so that you are just putting a giant workload on someone's uh, plate. Because, uh, for example, someone could just be getting off work, coming home to relax, and you're just starting to do something, or they've been working on stuff for the space all day, and then decide to take a break, and then someone walks in and goes, "Hey, I'm ready to start doing stuff. Let's do stuff together." Uh, it can just yeah. really compile and be not great for <laughs> a lot of folks in that way. Yeah, that's uh, so a great way just, to burn somebody out. Uh, yeah, and 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 making sure to like set check-in meeting times. Um, so what I found is if everything is just done by text or word of mouth communication for a certain period of time, uh, for example, if it goes to about a month, then uh, that's when things start to get scattered. Really trying to have weekly or biweekly meetings really helps um, Mm -hmm. bring everyone together and then also see uh, the amount that they've accomplished over time. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great idea. And then, so when, when people are moving on, or, I mean, you've been there for far longer than six months, do you have any plans or, or have you organizationally kind of got anything in place where 
when the when the time comes to have a new uh, artist come in, or when the time comes for you to pass the torch on to somebody, that 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 is a managed process, or do you think it's probably just going to be like, hey, yep, drop the mic? That has very much been on my mind. I want to make mention. Yeah. Uh, I've been thinking about this for almost two years now. Um, mm-hmm. What has happened though is I I have kind of disappeared for certain amounts of time i was looking at the like five years that i've lived here and i've actually been gone a total of one year of the time that i've lived here where i've left for three weeks to four months at a time Mm -hmm. uh just to kind of get that distance from the space and it does definitely allow me to come back uh refreshed by having that sort of boundary um even if i am doing tidbits while i'm gone sounds like somebody's maybe able to um fill in for you well usually what ends up happening is the the problems that maybe are present right before i leave and i don't know how to handle them find a way to resolve themselves while i'm sure (laughs) so uh, someone moves out or uh yeah just things kind of do a full full explosion or implosion type thing which is not the best (laughs) leadership role thing um for example some folks moved out and when i was gone someone made the entire basement into a ceramic studio and didn't necessarily ask me uh and you know what that's been one of the best things that has happened in the space because it allows that whole area of the space to just like take on its own form and the person who runs it is really lovely so you know sometimes things where i don't know what the answer is they find their own answer while i'm gone and um Secondarily, I have been taking on uh, like workshops outside of the space. So I I've been going to sort of uh, different little classes on on whether it's, you know, has to do with fundraising or financials or um, secession planning. I, mm-hmm. I went to an executive director secession planning workshop to kind of learn more about what you should be looking for, what the timeframes and are on this, um, especially as uh, right after I took that, the executive director of the space I'm on the board of um, actually stepped down. So I'm kind of in the process of like learning how to replace leadership and what you're looking for in leadership. It's not always um, looking for someone who is uh, stability oriented. Um, sometimes you're looking for someone who's a growth person, right? So you can kind of fluctuate between like short-term growth-based management and long-term stability, um, especially because you don't want your um, folks or, or members to burn out in the space, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You need a balance. That's cool. Um, yeah. I've definitely found that uh, sometimes leaving a power vacuum is maybe chaotic, but also one of the ways that people kind of wake up and get off the couch. Like, like oh. <laughs> You know, I care about this thing and it's not going to get done without me because mm-hmm. um, unfortunately, you know, begging and pleading and inspiring sometimes doesn't seem to go all the way. Um, yeah. I, the, I just want to, sorry, I just want to slightly note on burnout and me talking about transparency. There is also a burnout of information where you overload people with information by being too transparent. Listen, some people don't want to know the numbers of everything all the time. The key is not to just be sending all of that information all the time, but have a location where they know that they can access it anytime, right? So like if they really do want to look at reports on something, they can go to that specific, you know, space to look at it necessarily. 
Good point. Yeah, people are going to want to interact and volunteer in different ways too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. I like that idea. Um, one thing I've noticed is that when when you have a creative space like this and people are coming in off the street, they're going to be have so many different ideas and be socialized in so many different ways that maybe are not compatible with the way that your space works. Uh, we're kind of making little communities or societies within whatever, you know, Vancouver or California or Arizona um, society that we've got going on. And so there's going to be certain things about that that aren't compatible in here or certain ways that this person was you know, raised or um, or lives their life that don't don't work in here. The way I've approached that is thinking of it as like a funnel of training where, you know, the, the first point of contact that we have is like a tour and we explain how this space works and we're setting expectations there and we just continue that process hopefully with with further multiple touch points up until maybe they end up being a volunteer or a board member one day Um, and i kind of visualize it as a funnel with maybe it's like informal training but settings of expectations and communicating our values uh do you have an approach to dealing with kind of like the random off the street mentality and you're you're mentioning you know people who are like in survival mode um how do we bring people into the fold of your space like that? I am still learning what the best me- best methods are for this. Yeah. What, uh, one thing that has been kind of discussed is um, specifically with underground or DIY spaces. I recently was uh, invited to a roundtable with the city of Vancouver, uh, which is really phenomenal that the city is willing to kind of talk strategic intent around these spaces that are kind of outside the convention and, you know, some legalities um, with us and bring us to the table to kind of talk about it. But the idea is that we ourselves are not actually competing sources with like nightclubs or mm-hmm. with other, you know, um, types of uh, event spaces. It's that we're creating our own little cultural pockets. Yeah, so yeah. we don't necessarily want everyone to join is the key. And, and, and that's going to be something that's kind of a complicated thing, but you don't want all of, you know, the people who go to, you know, the giant nightclubs coming to maybe a relaxed DJ event with art at our space, right? We don't want an influx of too many people where our space is at capacity every time um, there's an event, right? Uh, So that's something to think about when we're touching on who is our community and who do we want to be providing space for. uh, with the space itself, um, we're working on, you know, having a good code of conduct. So, you know, using the right language usually le- lends itself to bringing in the people who are interested in the space. Sure. Um, three, we, uh, what I find is generally um, kind of an intro is like folks being able to put on events in the space or being studio mates, and then they take a stronger role as time goes on. We have one studio mate who actually, in lieu of their rent, instead of paying rent, they now manage our social media and our newsletter, for example. Um, So that's a way that they've taken on a stronger role. So just kind of like identifying interests um, and, and, 
you know, I tend to put kind of like a bug in their ear where it's like they talk about a little bit of this or a little bit of that. And I go, well, you know, if you wanted to, you could do this, but that's up to you. And, you know, you can talk to me about it if that's something you are have been thinking about. And typically they do kind of move towards that. Yeah. Yeah. I've often uh, had to kind of adjust my my approach to that because on one hand I started getting uh, a little bit burnt out and negative. So I'd be like, oh yeah, kind of, you know, come back to me when you're serious kind of attitude. Um, but on the other hand, I've been really surprised sometimes where I'll have maybe more of the kind of approach that you talked about. And then just randomly six months later, they're like, hey, I'm doing that thing that you talked about, you know, and I'm like, whoa, hey, you're doing that thing. Wow. Uh, and, and their, their volunteerism kind of came out of nowhere, but maybe it was nurtured by the kind of language that you're talking about. Yeah. Well, the, the thing about, uh, the James Black Gallery specifically is that it's supposed to be sort of a stepping stone where people practice something or experiment with something and then move forward. So there also is a lot of, you know, people not realizing that maybe they could patch the walls and paint after they've done a show, for example, kind of stuff like that, where I can have documents that state what, you know, our expectations are, or um, kind of, you know, have a area where it's organized supplies that they can go to and grab those things. So like, setting them up for with tools for success as well is really important. Um, And negotiating instead of like, hey, you did a bad thing being like, hey, this is generally our expectations. Um, I can take care of this for now. But just so you know, this is typically what you're going to want to be expecting when you go to another space or do another thing. Um, Just, you know, making sure that it's lessons learned rather than that's uh, that's a great way of handling that. mm -hmm. So I I've never thought of running a space as like, you know, doing everything to avoid conflict, but instead doing everything to figure out how to handle conflict. Sure. Yeah, there can be there can be positive conflict and and positive outcomes. Yeah. I think that's all I had for today. Um, (laughs) Is there anything that you can think of that you didn't get off your chest? No, not necessarily. I think um, a lot of that's going to be probably the most uh, relative information towards the makerspace community. Cool. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on and and talking with me today and um, hope to talk to you again soon. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Please visit our website, makerspacemanagers.com for more resources and to subscribe to the next episode, which is coming soon.